Talking about the Holy Spirit, we're going to do a month of speaking on the Holy Spirit and I've had the privilege to do an introduction to the Holy Spirit. I sometimes think, when I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit, that he's a forgotten person in a lot of aspects. That sometimes we get caught up with God, knowing him as a spiritual being, the Father, and then Jesus as the Son, and sometimes the Holy Spirit which some have rudely misrepresented and says that is an energy of force. They just see him as some energy and he's not really there. And tonight, in this introduction, I just want to clear that up. If ever there's doubt about God's spirit being a person, tonight it will be made clear that he is the person who is God. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. The first, from, from day one, the Spirit of the Lord was at work and he ignited God's spoken word and produced the light in the midst of darkness. It says in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Here we come, and the Spirit of God was hovering or brooding over the face of the water. That's the first introduction of the Holy Spirit that we get in the Old Testament, in the Bible, in Genesis. The Holy Spirit was moving on the face of the deep before God says something. So before God speaks, there's a moving already happening. Something has already happened before the word is spoken. But that's what I said earlier. When we speak, something happens because it's already been prepared beforehand. The Holy Spirit was moving, hovering, brooding, and the illustration of a mother hen sitting on the eggs in order to bring life. Hallelujah. Amen. Our God is one. Our God is one God. The Holy Spirit is one of three of the Godhead. Fully sharing in all the attributes of the deity. The Holy Spirit is one of three of the Godhead. But yet God is one. I'm not going to stand here and try and explain that. Because we're never really going to fully understand that. But that's the reality. The Father is the source the Son, the channel of the source, the Holy Spirit that flows through that channel releases the source and touches our lives. If we go to John 5.26, we'll see about the Father. And for those who haven't got your Bible, I think that Richard's going to put it up. It's incredible that as I was studying this, how God speaks to you, and there's things that you know, but it's the gift that keeps on giving, because God's word is living, and it's powerful. John 5, 26, and it reads here, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. The Father is the source, 
The Son is the channel of that source. Acts 2.22 Take these down if you haven't got any, if you haven't got a Bible. Look at them at home. Because when people knock on your door and try and tell you that God is this and God is that, it's good for you to have the evidence, which is God's word, that you can go to and explain. Acts 2.22 says... Acts 2.22 Beginning from the baptism of John to that day, he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Okay, I've written the wrong one there. But it was about God being the source through Jesus, which says that Jesus went about doing good healing all who was oppressed, that the power of the Holy Spirit was in him. 239. 239. Hallelujah. So if you get that, you can look at that. It's important to know that who Jesus is and how he operated, because in the later studies, we'll understand. Okay, we'll get, let's go to Acts 1, and this is about the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 8. Acts 1 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. So you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. See, understanding the functions of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and understanding who He is and what He's done in the New will allow you to experience the freedom that God has intended for each and every one of us. Because sometimes we mix something of the old and we bring it into the new and it's something that has already passed. And you'll understand that through these teachings, if you listen, when God speaks, there's something that has already passed. And you find some Christians talk about some things that have already passed. They, and, and, and that's called really taking something out of its context. But as we go through this study, I hope that you understand more and more of something tremendous, that this is progress, uh, progressive truth from the old to the new, where God is, ex, is revealing something bit by bit. And as we read of these characters, the at, at, attributes of the Holy Spirit moving on people, you begin to see how God is moving and what God is fulfilling through his word. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, The Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So that means that where the absence of God's spirit is, there's bondage. Amen. Remember, right at the beginning, it says the face of the deep, there was chaos. And it says the Spirit of God moved, and God says, let there be light, and there was light. John 4, 24, remember this one, God is Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's look at some of the attributes of the Holy Spirit to show that He is a person. Romans 
Romans 15, 30, and it reads, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayer to God for me. The Spirit of love. The Spirit of love. Paul spoke that do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We are told not to grieve him in, in Ephesians 4.30. Only a personal being can express love and be grieved. You won't get an energy or a force expressing love and feeling pain and be grieved. So these are just some of many scriptures that are indicating and showing that God's spirit is a person, is a spiritual being. He teaches in John 14, 26, that he leads and he guides. He leads and he guides. So we've got God's Holy Spirit showing love. God's Holy Spirit, not to be grieved because he feels pain. He's got emotion. And God's Holy Spirit leading and guiding. We see that the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's a person, he's intelligent, and he exercises emotions and will. And this is God the Spirit. He exercises emotions and he's got a will. And when you realise that when we talk about God, the life of God on the inside of us, we've got the person of God on the inside of us, who has an intellect, who has wisdom, who knows all the things of the Father, who knows the Son and reveals him to us. And he lives on the inside of us. This isn't some force, some energy that comes on and, comes and goes up. This is God himself living inside of us. Amen. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And when we hear this more and more, we don't feel like God's far away. But he's near. He says, for he is nearer than your breath. For he's in you. The Old Testament speaks numerous times of God's spirit coming mightily on individuals. The, the Old Testament speaks of numerous times God's spirit coming mightily on individuals. Notice it says coming on. Not living in, but coming on. And this is where, if, if we don't understand this, we can sometimes get into error and think that God is still operating in an old, old Testament mindset when things have already moved on and been fulfilled, as we'll see in later dates about the coming of Jesus and what the power of Pentecost means. Because that's where we're going, from the cross to Pentecost. That's where we're going. But before we get there, I just want to introduce some things, how God moved with those in the Old Testament, so you will know how blessed you are today. Thank God I didn't live in the Old Testament times. <laughs> Praise God. Thank God they had what they had. They had no choice. But we, oh my, we are living, as Jesus says, eyes and prophets and men have longed to see what you see and didn't. You've seen it and you are blessed. Are we blessed? Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you turn to 1 Samuel 10, 
1 Samuel 10, 6 to 10. It says, when the Spirit of the Lord, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon King Saul, he was affected and given another heart. You could read that, 1 Samuel 10, 6 to 10. I'll read that here. It's, I'm doing it in a bit of a, a Bible study way so we can kind of absorb some. I'm trying to speak in this way so we can sort of... It's a bit of a study. It's a bit like digging this on us today. To, to dig and to get some, some, some gold nuggets here, for want of a better word. One Samuel said. Okay. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. This is Saul. They want him. Israel want a king. And they've chosen Saul. They want Saul. And then this is what it says. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And you will prophesy with them. And be turned into another man. And let it be that when the sign comes that you will do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. For you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you and offer burnt offerings. This is Nathan the prophet speaking to him. And make sacrifices of peace. Offering seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you, and show you what you should do. So it was that when he turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. So what happened? God says, my spirit will come upon you, and you will be a different man. You will have another heart. He wasn't regenerated like we are now, but he had another heart, because what the spirit done, what what the Spirit enabled Saul to experience was the ability to rule as a king. And that's what we're reading here. But we shall see in 1 Samuel 16, 1 14. 1 Samuel 16, 1 14. Samuel messed up. Samuel messed up. And instead of waiting seven days like he was ordered, he says, wait until seven days and wait for the prophet to come, which was Samuel, to make the sacrifice. Because kings weren't meant to make sacrifices, but he took it into his own hands to make sacrifices. And so, therefore, because of his disobedience, the anointing, the power to be king was taken off him. And if we read in 1 Samuel 16, 1 to 14, 1 14. He says, but Samuel, this is Samuel, he's speaking to Saul now. What is that bleating of sheep in the ears? Hang on, I'll, I'll move forward. All right. Then Samuel says to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord says to me last night. And he says to him, speak on. And Samuel says, 
when you were little in your own eyes, sorry, I've got the wrong part here, but where it's leading to, it says that God took the anointing off Saul. Yeah, that's yeah. I've got there, but one of the part where it says that he's took. Um, all right, I'm on fifteen. Sorry about this. He says, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. So we've got already. We're seeing that God anointed Samuel, and yet Saul. Saul sorry, God anointed Saul, and yet we're seeing that Saul messed up. And the anointing was taken from him. The anointing was taken from him. So Saul, from that time, because he disobeyed, was totally incapable of ruling the people. Because what God done in the Old Testament would give people abilities to do something, to empower them, to do something for, uh, for strength or for intelligence, to rule or to govern, or a word of prophecy. We read in Psalms 51.11, David had committed adultery. And so what he was saying was a prayer of forgiveness. Because after that, David become king. And it says for Samuel to anoint David as king. So the anointing to be king came upon David. But David committed adultery as he was a as he was ruling as king. And it says in Psalms 51 that David prayed the prayer of repentance and he says, do not take your spirit from me. So we can see there's a lot emphasised on the spirit of God, a lot emphasised on God anointing people, coming upon people, giving them gifts and ability, and yet if they don't cooperate or be obedient to what God's saying, these gifts can be taken from him. So David prayed his prayer. For David has seen a tragedy in Saul's life. That the king of Israel lost his anointing. And he pleaded with God not to remove his spirit from him. Not to remove his spirit from him. We see that the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's a person. He's an intelligent he has intelligence and he exercises emotion and will. He's God and he's the Spirit. The Holy Spirit in, the, in the, the Old Testament is amazing. But he's totally different the way he operates in the, in the, the actual New Testament. And we're going to see more and more, as I said earlier, about the movement of the Holy Spirit in this day. We read of Samson, not to cut his hair, the command was, not to drink of any wine. And yet, if you look in Judges 16, 20, he gave the secret away to a woman called Delilah about his strength. And once his hair was cut, he had no strength. The strength wasn't in his hair, the strength was in his obedience to listen to God. And it says in Judges 16.20 that when Samson was lying in the lap of Delilah, he fell asleep. But before that, he told Delilah the secrets of his strength. They shaved his hair and the Philistines come to attack Samson. 
And it says that he got up, as he normally does, shook himself and thought that he could defeat the Philistines as he did before when he had the anointing. But he did not know that God had left him. He did not know the anointing had gone. He did not know that the Spirit of God had departed from him. Good stories to read these are because you can see how God's Spirit was totally different in the old to the new. I was speaking to um, a sister at work and we was having this conversation. But she didn't know that I was speaking about this. And she was saying, I sometimes worry that God's going to take his spirit from me. And she's born again. And I says, he ain't going to take his spirit from you. She says, yeah, but if I'm too bad, I don't want to presume. And this is the error that we come into if we don't really know about the old and the new. Jesus says that you can't put old wine in new wineskins. And he's speaking about something new. And what we've received in the New Testament is far superior than what they had in the Old Testament. And that's what I'm trying to convey as I'm speaking now. That when God moved in the Old Testament, it was totally different to how he's moving now. God's spirit is perfect. His work is perfect. But it says in Genesis 6, I think it's Genesis 6 through. He says, My spirit will not always strive with man. Now why, isn't, now, why did God say, My spirit will not always strive with man? He says, Now that word striving with man, because he is flesh, because he's mortal, because he's carnal, because he's sinful, and God is holy. And his spirit is the Holy Spirit. So he says, my spirit will not always strive with man. Because up until that point, God was coming upon man. But he couldn't indwell man. He couldn't live in that place that he wanted to live. Which is the part of the heart, which is the spirit. Because Jesus says, my words are spirit and they are life. And he says that God is looking for worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That's why when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he says, unless someone's born again, they cannot see the kingdom. Unless they're born of the Spirit and of water, they cannot see the kingdom. So the problem was not with the Holy Spirit. The problem was with the defect of what man had experienced, which we're not talking about today. The fall of man, that when God spoke to him and says, do not eat, but they disobeyed, they spiritually died. They still, man still has a spirit, but it's a dead spirit. But that dead spirit means that God cannot commune or have communion, communicate with your spirit because our spirit is dead to him. That's why Jesus, that's why people say, but I don't have to be born again. As long as I'm good, God hasn't come to make, make bad people good. Amen. He's come to make dead people live. Our spirits were spiritually dead. And while God was speaking to Samson, speaking to David, speaking to Moses, and speaking to all the other Old Testament prophets and people, they were dead in their spirits. They weren't born again. They did not have the Spirit of God living in them. He just come upon them and empowered them and gave gifts and ability 
as God seemed fit to give at that time for a specific duty, as I says, to either rule, govern, or to have strength. But if you disobeyed, you lose it. You lose the spirit. That's why David says, do not take your spirit from me. Do not take your spirit from me. But you know, all the way, as you read in the Old Testament, there's a thread of hope, of an expectancy of something pointing to a day that will be. There's a thread of hope of something that's expected. It was mentioned in the garden about the seed of the woman who would bruise the serpent's head. That was the first mention of this someone of hope who would come and put things right in order to bring a healing to the injury that would affect the human race and that is we're born with a dead spirit when you're born with a dead spirit that's what we call born in sin you haven't got the life of God in you you haven't got the spirit of God in you so therefore something has to happen in order to bring the life of God in you and this was the message that was threaded all the way through the Old Testament pointing to a day. A day that God spoke about that he wanted to bring into effect. And we're going to just focus upon these moments on that day that God's pointing to. Because, remember in Genesis, before God says let there be light, what was happening? The spirit was moving. Before the fulfilment of God bringing man to a place of where he could make them spiritually alive to himself, the spirit was moving upon people. But God wants, to, wants the spirit to move in people. And that's what this prophecy, this spoken promise that God has given in Ezekiel that we could turn to right now. Ezekiel 36, 25. Now, if you've took notes, go on and read the stories, because if I'm explaining the stories, you're going to fall asleep anyway. And you're going to think, well, you know, this is too long. But read them, because you're reading about real people here. These are not just make-believe. These are real people. Flesh and blood, pain, depression, sicknesses, Doubts, fears and faith, the lot. These people are in here. And it says that all scripture is written for our benefit. So what do you say? Genesis 36. 25. Genesis 36, 25. Listen to this. Remember, he says, my spirit will not always strive with man because he's mortal, because he's flesh, because he's carnal, and because he's sinful. God says this in, in Genesis. But in Ezekiel 36, 25, the promise of something different that God will do. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. 
I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will walk in my judgments and do them. Can you see God has made a promise of something that's going to happen in the beginning, that's in Ezekiel. He's talking about a day that he's going, to, he's going to make an agreement with what we call here a covenant. He's going to make an agreement in a day that he's going to do something new. That's why we've got the New Testament because this is the fulfilment of something new. Remember when we talk about communion, what did Jesus say? This is the covenant. And he talks about a new covenant because Jesus was the fulfillment which we've talked about and we've been blessed and blessed and blessed about the lamb, the Passover lamb. But this all ties in with what God wants to do about this new wine. But God says, I will put my spirit within you. We won't be governed, governed by laws and trying to obey them and failing miserably. But God says, I will put my spirit within you and you will obey my commandments. It's not me trying to be good. It's me being good because goodness has entered in me and that's God's spirit. But something has to happen before that goodness can enter in from the cross to Pentecost. That's where we're going. That's where we're going from the cross to Pentecost. The last one I'm going to read now is in Jeremiah 31. So if we turn there, and this is a privilege to read, as all scripture is anyway. Write these down, that's if you haven't got your Bible, because it's really exciting to see the progression of truth. You know, we're talking over thousands of years, hundreds of years here. And it's all written, and we're just skipping, bang, bang, bang. But this is a long period of time to get to this place. 31, 31. It's on, on the top of my Bible, Bible, it's got a new covenant, a new agreement. Behold, the day are coming, or the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new agreement, a new covenant. This is in the Old Testament, remember. This is looking forward, but we're looking back. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that they took, no, in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was an husband to them, says the Lord. But this covenant is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbour and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, 
For they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and their sins I will remember no more. That's a powerful promise. He's talking about an agreement that Jesus, when he was sitting there at the table, he's talking about a covenant. He says, this is a new covenant. I've longed to eat this Passover with you. You can, you can almost see the eagerness as Jesus was reading this. Because Jesus must have read this himself. There's things that Jesus read and he knew. I've come to fulfill this. And when you get a uh, capture a glimpse of God speaking in the past of something that hasn't happened, this is exciting. Because we're living on the other side. We're living that this has already happened. And it happened in Jesus. That God wants to do something different and give us a different spirit. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. But before that, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Think of the Trinity. For God so loved the world that he gave. For God the Father loved the world that he gave Jesus. And it's the Spirit that reveals Jesus to you. You've got the Trinity there. For God loves the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Holy Spirit is the person of God who is the one who makes Jesus real to us. The paradigm of the Trinity. What do I mean? How do they treat each other? You notice the Father bigs up Jesus. Jesus bigs up the Father. He's speaking to the Father. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself, but speaks to Jesus. That's how, you know, the Holy Spirit, you can see the Trinity there, and yet the Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, just because he's third, it's not, it's, isn't like an Olympic box thing that you stand on, first, second, third. It's just that they have different functions. And that function that we have right now, we see in the Holy Spirit, is something that in Jeremiah, of which we've read, God says, I'm going to do a new thing with the house of Israel. Okay, it's Israel, but it starts with a nation, but it was spread out to all people. God has given us that spirit right now. We're leading up to Pentecost. Sid and Stuart are going to be elaborating more on about the fruits of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit. Pentecost on that day that after the cross, what happened? What actually happened when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Pentecost, the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection, resurrection and the life. And we haven't got to figure him out with a dead spirit. But we've been born again with God's life inside of us, the person of God who lives inside of us, that we've got the ability, like God's word says, no man shall have to teach his neighbour, 
but they will know me and they will obey me. Why is that? Because God is doing the work himself within us. And that happens when we're born again. What a contrast to the old Mosaic law, to the old law that Moses brought in with the Ten Commandments. What a contrast, but that God in the new covenant will give us a spiritual, divine dynamic. What do I mean? Will give us an empowerment that we didn't have under the old law. Giving us the ability to know God and the ability to know that God's pleased with us and the ability to know that we can stand before him because we're righteous. And that's exactly where we are right now as Christians. We are fulfilled. He says that we're completing him in Colossians, that we are completing him, that we are righteous, that we are holy. And this is all because of the fulfillment of what was prophesied in Jeremiah about the new covenant. That's good news, church. I know I've spoken a kind of teaching way, and I hope that somewhere you've, you're grasping the wonder of what's, of what's happened in the progression of truth that God has revealed to us. That when we look back, man, I can see God's Holy Spirit there. Not this energy, but the person who can be grieved, who can be lied to, who wants to teach, who wants to guide, who gives intelligence, who gives ability. God, the person, this person wants to live in me. This person wants to live in you, Chris. Now, when we ever say, I can't do it, I'm good for nothing, I'm useless, I've inherited something from my family, none of them have been any good, no one's ever been to university or whatever, I'm just an idiot. Okay, in the flesh, that might be true. But now, in the new covenant, you can't say that, because now the Holy Spirit has come and lives on the inside of you. It's a totally, you are a different person. And you've got the ability. Sorry? That's right. You're a different person. And you've got the very nature of God inside of you. For it says that we participate of his divine nature. We participate of his divine nature. But if we don't know these things, what we've got now, when we come to a building where the church meets, because we know that this isn't the church. The stained glass windows aren't church, isn't the church. But we are the church. You begin to think different. It says that your body is the temple of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because God lives inside of you. And God inside of you, it's an inside job. God on the inside will give you the ability to know him, to understand him, and the ability to feel comfortable with yourself, with who you are. When we have youth club here, we talk about character. We talk about people's opinions and the world's opinions. What opinions are you believing that the world are saying about you? What opinions are we believing entering into our mind and allowing it to fester into our hearts that a contradiction or contradicting what God by his Holy Spirit has given us. We are new creations. And like Sid has just says, we have the Father's nature. 
That's why the only goodness that's inside of us, like Paul says, there's nothing good that dwells in me, only your spirit. The only difference that we've got with someone who's going to hell is God's spirit, the person of God in me. If I make my place in hell, David says, you will be there. Jesus cried, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried that cry that John Cole would never have to cry that cry. Amen. If I ever feel like God's left me, I know that's an emotion and it's a lie. Because Jesus cried the reality of being forsaken, that I could experience the life of never being forsaken. I experienced it, so when I feel down, it says he carried my sorrows away. Jesus carried the emotion and the reality of bearing our sickness, sins, depression in himself. And it says he took them away. So if I'm allowing the emotions of being depressed, of being sick, of being doubtful, or anything that contradicts God's word, I've got to say, hang on, what does God say about it? What's God's view and opinion of me? And that's the fact. It's not my emotions that is the truth. The truth is God's word. And as we believe God's word, it will change our emotions. We have all, all of us have got opportunities to be negative, to can't be bothered attitude, to be lazy, to not want to go on. But we've got the spirit of truth. And what Jesus says, I am going there, but I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send another. And this another means exactly the same. And he will be to you in my absence what I was when I was here. Because I'm limited in this body. I can't be everywhere at once, but the Holy Spirit can. He's exactly like me, but he's got a different function. He will not speak of his own, of himself, but he will take what is mine and he will reveal it to you. That's awesome. Before Jesus says that, remember, he was going to be crucified. He wasn't thinking of himself, he was thinking of them. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Orphan, that means you've been abandoned. You haven't got any support. You haven't got a mum, you haven't got a dad. Jesus was their support. Jesus was their source of joy, peace. When Jesus was around, they felt confident. And now the one who's given them peace, hope, strength, and given them all wisdom is going. And they were downcast. But he says, I'm going to the Father, but I will send another. And that's the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us. We can value him more than we have valued him up until this point. Sometimes we take him for granted. Sometimes, oh God, oh God. And God's inside of us by his Holy Spirit. In the person. Now, I think that's amazing. It's great to meet Beckham or Beyonce. And it is. It'd be nice to meet these people. But to think I can look at a sunset and the one who's made that sunset lives in me. Just ponder on that. That's mind-blowing. That God who made that, that, that creature there and the ability to fly and to soar is in me. And you know, God 
values more than any of his creation. Just think about that. God values you more than any of his, than any of his creation. God, don't live in the God doesn't live in the trees. He don't live in them birds. He don't live in the flowers. But he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow is enough of itself. And then he, he pointed to creation. He says, creation, the birds, they don't sow, they don't store up in barns. He says, the flowers, they don't do all this. But yet Solomon wasn't dressed as, as, fine, as fine as any of these. But notice, he didn't say, but their father. He says, but your father. God isn't the father of them birds. He ain't the father of them flowers. He's the father of the new creations. Amen. Those who've got the spirit in him. For God is spirit and those who worship him have got to worship him in spirit and in truth. And we have been born again with that spirit who can be grieved, who's got intelligence, who guides, and who tells us and takes the things of Jesus, who's not on earth, but in his spirit, he speaks to us. If ever you think you can't do anything, ask Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit, how do you do this? And it says in Philemon 1.6, the communication of our faith that makes the reality of what we've got, real, effective. If we don't believe God's in us, we ain't gonna allow him to come out because we don't acknowledge that God, by his spirit, is in us. In the Old Testament, he moved upon Saul. He moved upon Samson, mightily upon him, but he couldn't live in him because there was a defect with their spirit that was dead. But now, that defect has been corrected by the cross, by the blood, by the power of the resurrection. And this is what makes Christianity different from any other religion. For one, it is a religion. It's never been a religion. But man has turned it into a religion by behaviour. Because religion means looking for God. But God has found us. God has revealed himself to us. And that's why Jesus says, you are my brothers. He says, I'm going to my God and your God, to my father and your father. And why, and why did he say that? Because the spirit of truth lives on, on the inside of us. He also says, wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I believe Sid's going to talk about maybe, about, in, about Pentecost, about the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when he was born again, our spirits were regenerated because our spirit was dead. That was a problem. And then God took his spirit and joined it to our new regenerated spirit. So you got two spirits, God, a new regenerated spirit and God's spirit living on the inside of us, coming and joining with our spirit. That's why we say we're a new creation. It's really happened. Amen. It's really happened. Yeah. Just like when you're first pregnant, you don't know. 
You don't know, but it's happening. Whether you know it or not, the baby's growing. Whether you deny it or not, the baby's there. And this is what happened. God is inside it, but you can't feel him. You can't feel him kick. But yet, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Because he's alive. And I'm just going to end with this. God's Spirit that can live in this vessel, this channel, He's chose to live in me. He's invested everything in me. He's took the time, the effort, the pain that I could be what God had originally planned for my life. And then after all that, I just say, nah, that ain't true. Grieving the Holy Spirit, that is. God don't condemn you. But what he's doing is trying to convict you which means convince you that he loves you. The spirit of love that's been poured into our hearts. God's spirit, not like the Old Testament come upon us, but who lives inside of us. God's spirit. Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, they say. But he's already come. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this blessed triune. Sid, I ought be speaking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because when you're born again, that's the first part. But there's something that he says was prophesied. When he comes, Jesus, he will baptise you with fire. Woo! That's, that's a Pentecost one. You get born again, the Spirit comes, he reveals Jesus. And then once you get Jesus, Jesus reveals the baptism. Can you see what's going on there? Oh, this is what I'm saying about the paradigm of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit talks of Jesus. Then Jesus was taught the Holy Spirit. See, you're born again by the Holy Spirit and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment that will transform your life. Charge them batteries that you're fully charged all the time. He says, and I ended with this now, be filled with the Holy Spirit and keep being filled. Imagine a glass I'm pouring, comes to the brim, we stop, that's full, ain't it? Keep being filled, he's constantly overflowing. You are filled, but the baptism will allow that constant overflowing. What do we want? Just a mediocre life of just, I'm born again, or experience this life that God has intended for us by acknowledging who he is and knowing who we are. It's all in the world, knowing who we are. We're born again. You're a Christian, not by title, but by relationship, that you are a child of God. And it says, who? The Spirit fills, and God's are sons of God. Romans 8. It says that God, Spirit, lives in you. And who the Spirit of God lives in, they are sons of God. They are daughters of God. So if, if any doubt you just felt God was up there, but he's abstract, take that out of your mind because there's a personal person living on the inside of you. It says that his eyes are constantly on you, but his eyes are constantly in you now. Booker James says, he envies intensively. 
God gets jealous when you choose to sin. God, you know why? Because says, what, what are you doing that for? You're righteous. You've got everything, the ability of God to be the person and to experience the freedom that you didn't have before you knew me. So you don't need all that now. For it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And true freedom is having the ability to do the right thing. Not having the emotions to do what you want because you emotionally feel like it. Animals do that. God's given us a different spirit. And actually, the word holy means different. Holy. One of the words is being different. That's why you get holy day. It's a day set aside that is different from any other day. The Holy Spirit, it gives you a different life. That we act different because we are different. Okay, Father, we just thank you and praise you. Father, for your word that is living, that is active. We thank you, Lord, that in ourselves, Father, we've got nothing. Where your son Jesus says that without me you can do nothing. But we thank you, Lord, that as we remain in you and believe your words, that, Father, we experience the manifestation of the life that you've given us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we speak in the coming days, in the coming weeks, about your Holy Spirit, I just pray that what we've heard about will, Lord, just alight something in our souls to inquire more about you, to know that this is more than a religion, more than a, a way and an effort to trying to improve our conduct. But Lord, we are already blessed, that we are complete in Jesus. The Father, your Holy Spirit, illuminates your word. The Father, it will, Lord, reveal to us exactly what you've done in our lives. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. And Holy Spirit, we thank you. Amen. 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 Thank you.